It's good to walk in tonight and to see a number of visiting faces in our audience. We want you to know how much we appreciate you. I believe many of you perhaps were invited by your family, your friends, uh, maybe uh, co-workers. But we want you to know we appreciate your being here and give you a little explanation of what we do on the first Sunday night of the month. There are people in the congregation who have questions that they submit uh, and anybody's welcome to submit a question. And uh, what we do, we take these questions and we attempt to try to uh, go to the Bible and to try to find a proper answer. And we frequently find ourselves uncertain about some questions and are seeking information. As we saw in Acts chapter 25, there's questions that need to be answered. And are we willing to go to someone else because... It's good to want to know what God expects man to do. If I'm reading the Bible, I need to say, does this passage apply to me? Am I supposed to do what this passage says? Am I to take it literally? And how do I apply what I'm learning? And likewise, it's important to understand the scriptures and their meaning. I've had two questions, or actually I've had more, but I've chosen two of the questions that have been submitted uh, this month, and I again remind you, if you've got a question, instead of trying to explain it to me as you go out, just write it on the back of one of the visitor's cards, hand it to me, place it on my desk, um, email it, whatever you want to do, and we'll try to answer these questions in our future lessons. The first question that was asked for tonight is, how should a Christian respond to the numerous people you see begging at traffic lights and the on-ramps? And on the card it said, see Luke chapter 6, verses 30 through 36. It's important that if you have a scripture being used that we try to do that. And so we're going to first read Luke chapter 6, verses 30 through 36. And Luke records, give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend and hope nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Well, that's an interesting question. And that deserves some time in our discussion tonight. I want to begin by pointing out some preliminary principles. There are some things that you and I learn as we go through the Bible that I think help us to understand this passage. So if you will, give me just a moment or two to try to lay a groundwork. And the first one is... There will always be poor people. I know there's some people who have utopian ideas that 
There will come a day in which everyone will have plenty of food to eat, everyone will have plenty of clothes to wear, and everyone will be doing well. In fact, it appears that there's some within our country who think that the government could be best at doing that and providing for everyone's wishes, everyone's needs, so that everyone gets what they want. But I want you to listen to the words of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 11 says, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and to your needy in your land. Jesus, using that principle in Mark 14 verse 7, when he was being anointed for his burial, said, For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do good to them, but may you do not have always. We understand that there will always be people who, some through no fault of their own, maybe they've had accidents, maybe they've had illnesses, maybe they've had misfortunes befall them for which they could not have foreseen. There are also people who are poor because of poor choices. And they have made them and that is the reason why they are poor. God made provision for them in the Old Testament. And the provision that he made required some effort on their part. I want you to notice with me carefully the Old Testament law found in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. Exodus 23, verses 10 and 11. Six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Now why? That the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. That's interesting. A man who had an olive grove or a man who had a vineyard was not to harvest it in the seventh year. Why? He left it for the poor people. But notice the poor people have to go and gather for themselves. You get to Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field nor gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So God says, I know there's going to be poor people with you always. And so for that reason, I want you to, every seventh year, let your land lie fallow. Every time that you gather your harvest in, leave the corners of the field. Leave it for those who are poor. And again, I remind you that they had some duty to do and to go and to harvest for themselves. Those of us who have should share with those who are poor and needy. There are too many passages to look at them all. In fact, I put several from the book of Proverbs and just two from the book of Galatians. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and He will pay back what he has given. Proverbs 21 verse 13. Whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. 
Chapter 28, verse 27, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eye will have many curses. Galatians 2, verse 10, He said, They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. And that is when Paul and Barnabas met with Peter, James, and John, and they said, you know, we have poor people. We want you to remember them. Paul said, I was eager to do that. Chapter 6 and verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So we recognize God expects us to be generous to those who are needy. Frequently, and this is where we start directing our attention toward the question, Frequently the poor would seek alms at the gate. It may be the gate of the city. It may be the gate or the entrance to the temple. It may be the gate or the entrance to some other place. But that's where poor people would be placed so that the majority would pass by them. For instance, if you go to Walmart many times you'll see Various social groups and some even religious groups who will set up near the door so that people going in and coming out will see them. Proverbs 22, verse 22. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. I remember the first time going to Jerusalem. Tim and I were walking into uh, the pools of Bethesda where the Lord healed. And there was a man standing outside the gate and he had one leg that had been amputated at some point in the time and you could see the bloody nub sticking out. Those of us who were there felt tremendous sorrow for that man and were ready, some of us, to give him some things, but the tour guide told us, don't do that because what he's doing every day, he comes there and he cuts his leg to make it bleed so that people will give him money. You realize sometimes people are are doing things. Acts 3 verse 2, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple. When people stop you at stoplights or at on ramps, off ramps, whatever they may be, They're trying to find a place where a large number of people pass by. Now you say, but you've got to deal with Luke chapter 6. What does the Lord say when someone asks you to give? You've got to give to them. Always, when you and I are studying the Bible, context is not just important, it's essential. Because sometimes if you read the scripture and you read indiscriminately, you may come away with a, long, with a wrong idea. I remember several years ago, Brother Johnny Ramsey was talking about that. He said, the Bible said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And then he flipped over in his Bible and the Bible says, go and do thou likewise. And he said, you don't put passages together without understanding the context in which they're given. And someone reads Luke chapter 6 and the parallel that is found in Matthew chapter 5, and they come away with this idea that what he is suggesting is is that anybody walks up to you on the street and says, give me some money. Well, if you're a Christian, you've got to say, okay, let me open my billfold and you give him the money. 
Or somebody comes up and says, I want to borrow $1,000. Okay, well, I don't really have $1,000 to spare, but the Bible says he wants to borrow from you. you got to give to him. The context in which the Lord was speaking is much plainer in Matthew's account than in Luke's account, but Luke's account is plain enough. It talks about the treatment of one's enemies. He said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, someone mistreats me. How do I respond to that mistreatment? I'll give him back what he gave me. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. He said, no, no, no. You don't hate him. You love him. You pray for him. And you treat him correctly. Listen to verse 29, the verse that precedes where we begin. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic also. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. I'd suggest to you the principle is stated plainly in verse 31. We call it the golden rule. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. You want someone to treat you correctly? You want someone to treat you properly? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not the iron rule that says you don't mistreat me, I won't mistreat you. But the one that says, just like you want men to treat you, you treat them that way. The ask of you in verse 30 is further explained in verse 34. Notice, give to everyone who asks of you. Look at verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is it to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive back as much. What he's talking about, someone comes to you and says, I need you to give me money. And I don't think you need to ask for it back. I think you need to to loan me something. None of these examples are unlimited. And uh, I will point out to you that one of them is very plain. I went back and picked up verse 29. You can also go to Matthew's parallel. One smites you on your right cheek, you turn to him the left or vice versa. When Jesus was struck in John 18, verse 22, and when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. Do you answer the high priest like that? Now one would expect if Jesus said Luke 6 and Matthew 5 to turn the other cheek, that Jesus would say, okay, you hit me good over here. Now hit me here. That's not what he said. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Oh. You mean that that's not a blanket statement for all times and all places? No, it has to be understood in its context. And so that means if you come out and you hit me upside the head tonight... I'm going to duck the second time. I'm not going to turn around and say, all right, you hit me real good. Now, 
Don't take another shot. I'm not going to do that. Jesus didn't do that. Well, his principle, his point was, you don't respond to that in a negative way. Now, let me point out to you also, what if the person who comes up and asks you to do that, you know he's too lazy to work? 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if any will not work, neither shall he eat. What that means is, if a person comes up to me who is so lazy he won't work, and says, give me some money. Not only do I not have the obligation to give it to him, I have the obligation not to give it to him. Because if he won't work, he shouldn't eat. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Why will he have nothing? Because he was too lazy to work. And now, let's, let's listen here. He will beg during harvest. Oh, but you remember what the Old Testament taught in Exodus and Leviticus? You remember that seventh year in Exodus? Do you remember the corners of the field in the book of Leviticus? Ah, oh, he was supposed to go out and gather some then, but he's going to beg. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34 talks about going by the field of a lazy man. He said he was devoid of understanding. He didn't realize you don't plant now, you're not going to harvest later. We have an obligation to help those who are truly in need. Often those who were placed at the gate were obviously diseased. And they were injured and they could not work. Somebody who was blind, they couldn't see. A man who was lame, he couldn't get up and walk. If he's lame and he can't get up and walk, he can't make a living. If he's blind, he can't see, he can't go out and do a job like a normal person. Those are people who are poor. Those are people who are needy. Those are the people whose our hearts should be open to. But somebody sitting at the corner of the street as fat as me waving a sign saying, give me money, is not a person that you and I can be able to know who needs it. So my suggestion is use some judgment. Use some judgment. And I would recommend that you not harm your family and their needs to give to someone else who may not need it. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 13, when they were collecting for the needy saints at Jerusalem, Paul said, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. You have an obligation to take care of your family. If any will not provide for his own, he's denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. So I don't know if I've answered the question adequately to everybody's satisfaction, but I've tried to bring forth the biblical principles. Question number two. What does it mean that one is born in sins? See John 9 and verse 34. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. The concept that one is born in sin is a tenet of Calvinism. For those of you who may not know, Calvinism can easily be understood by the acronym TULIP. T-U-L-I-P. T stands for total depravity. 
U stands for unconditional election. L stands for limited atonement. I stands for irresistible grace. And P stands for perseverance of the saints. The first tenet of that is that one is born in sin, born totally depraved, born with no good within them. It's often attributed to what is written by David in Psalm 51 and verse 5. The New King James reads, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. The NIV, which is very Calvinistic in many of its renderings, said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Trying to indicate that from the time the child David was born, he was born in sin and a sinner. This is often called original sin. The fact that the sin of Adam and Eve was passed to Cain and Abel and Seth and that the sin of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth was then passed to their descendants and their descendants. And so now you and I have inherited the sin and the propensity to sin that was in Adam and Eve. That is not a biblical concept. Let me explain why. I want you to look at that passage in John chapter 9. Observe who was speaking. It was not Jesus. It was not one of the apostles. It was his critics. And it was looking at the man who had been healed and saying, you were born in sin. They also accused Jesus of having a demon. Do you remember John 8, verses 48 and 49? The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not right, say rightly that you, have a, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Chapter 10, verse 20. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? These same people had no problem making false accusations against Jesus and against those who were trying to do what was right. And someone says, but it's recorded in Scripture. Scripture records the words of the devil. That doesn't make them right. The devil said, you shall not surely die. That's in the Bible. But the Bible tells us the devil said that. Listen to Job 42, verse 7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. Now listen carefully. For you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. You know what that means? When I read through the book of Job and I read the words of Eliphaz, and I read the words of Bildad and Zophar, they didn't tell the truth. We've got to be careful when we quote the book of Job that we don't quote the guys who said the wrong things. One does not inherit the sin of his parents. I know that because of two passages. One, the first one is the key answer. Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, 
nor the father the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Do you know how you get to be a sinner? You sin. You know how I get to be a sinner? I sin. My mother, my father may have sinned before me. They may have set a path of sinfulness in front of me. They may have set a path of righteousness in front of me. But it is my choices. Sin is a transgression of the law. 1 John 3 verse 4. It's when I transgress it that I sin. I think it's significant. In this very context, this very man to which they said, you were all together born in sins, listen to verses 1 through 3. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Boy, that is a very telling phrase with regards to verse 34. Seeking answers about God's will is always good. I want you to know I appreciate your questions. These questions make us do a little searching, do a little seeking, try to ask the question, what does he mean here? What does this say? The key is to incorporating what one learns into actions. I'll learn something, maybe I'll need to learn to be more generous. I learned something, maybe I need to study more God's Word, but listen, John 13, 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. James would say, it's not the man who hears who is blessed, but the one who does shall be blessed in his doing. And as I have said, I believe just about every time, still the most important question that remains is, what must I do to be saved? That's a question that every one of us must answer. What must I do to be saved? You've got I that makes it personal for me. Must talks about obligation. And saved is to live with God eternally in heaven. If you're not a Christian, why not become one tonight? Believing in Jesus repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized. If you're a Christian and you look at your life and you say, I know sin's there, I need to take care of it, we'll pray with you. We're going to sing, Out of My Bondage. If you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing?